Hi, this is Jay Todd Anderson, and you are listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Something austere, inviting, noble, or it could be another edition of Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. Indeed it is. I'm Nikki Dakota, your host, and it is a great treat to welcome to the studio live and in person the Nitrate Film Archivist for the Library of Congress and the not just largest but finest frame brain on the planet. He is our friend. He is George Willem and George. Welcome. Bonjour, Mamzelle Nikki. <laughs> Also in the studio to your radio right, it is the fabulous and talented storyboard artist for the Coen Brothers for 20 years and more, counting the last count, and all the finest films ever made. Friend to all the big people and beautiful stars and also our friend, he's J. Todd Anderson. Welcome. Of course you know this means war. <laughs> and as you might pick up from the, the, the music, the, the French accent, the notion of war, this is indeed uh, a film, French-made, about war, but not necessarily a war film. Gentlemen, gentlemen what uh, perfect film are we here to talk about today? Today we're going to talk about uh, Raymond Bernard's World War I film, the, uh, Les Croix de Bois. Uh, in English, wooden crosses. This is a French film, and the date on this is Weep. 1932. 32, I saw 32. A picture. Yeah, and even something on the tag credits out, he even said 31. I wasn't sure what that was all about. It looked like a later title that was added. You know, sometimes when we say the year of the movie, sometimes it's the year it was released, and, you know, maybe, maybe the years and they were making it. Sometimes yeah. I have a feeling this film took a long you know? time yeah. to, to produce, so they probably started on it in 31. This, Generally, they give us a release date, but sometimes it's, uh, you know... It's when the work was actually completed. Well, it is an amazing film. There's no question about that. It's black and white. It's French with subtitles, and yet still, uh, all the action is uh, completely compelling. And I don't like subtitles, as most people don't, because you have to... I always feel that you have to watch it twice. Once to read through to make sure you're getting all the... The you know the direction. I'm with Nikki. I like the dub versions where people talk real low and deep. <laughs> uh, that way I you do don't have to them. you don't have to look down at the subtitle. You can still watch the and they're the, and yeah. they're always the same people who do Speed Racer. <laughs> <laughs> but despite the oh my leg was just blown off. They say it real fast. Yeah. <laughs> my leg was just blown off. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and then the mouth on the movie just goes yeah. on and on and on. Pretty! Yeah. Oh! <laughs> but it, this one, uh, I, I didn't find... It, there's a chance that I'm just getting better at it from, from knowing the film guys. I'm, I'm a better film watcher. Well, that, there, that is could a, be. there is a trick that I, that I have sort of... And I can't even really explain how you do it, but it's sort of an idea it's of keeping... It's not your grandmother's picture again, is No, it? no, okay. no. Um, <laughs> it's the idea of keeping one eye on the subtitles and the other eye on the action. And it gets kind of uncomfortable after a while. You look kind of like Marty Feldman. Yeah. yeah, but it, it does work. It does. So this I, I is really a, this is a pretty it. basic film from that standpoint. You can watch the subtitles and still enjoy it. Mm-hmm. It's not that difficult like some really wordy movies. Beautiful, you know? black and white. It's a long film. It uh, actually, it's not that long. Oh man, does it, it there's seem a long. lot going on to it. It is not even. 
It's 113 minutes. It's not even oh. two hours. But Man, there is a lot going on in this movie. Yeah. And it's beautifully photographed. You can see these people. They look like they lived yesterday, mm-hmm. honestly. Because one <laughs> of the things that you'll notice in American films of that period, they used a lot of makeup. And that kind of gave them some sort of or glow. But these people, they didn't use makeup on them. This is a French film. We're sort of unadorned. You know, we make movies. The films make French. You know, that's the <laughs> The films make films French. Make French. <laughs> I like that. Ooh, that's oh not la that's la. not this movie. Oh, that's oh, another oh, kind oh. of movie we're talking about. <laughs> All right, I'll try that one again. We make movies, the films. <laughs> American right, George, make you movies. say it for me. All right. We make movies. The French make films. It's a good thing George is around. I learned man. that I from you, Jay Tyler. I really, but actually, that. I stole it from uh, I think David Mamet. I think he. Uh, oh, he's that sounds like yeah. Sounds but good. you know what? The fact that. Um, in that tiny little distinction and the notion that they did not put the stage paint, the pancake, you know, layers on here, I uh, really appreciated it. It was so much, and I know I sassed you gentlemen about that, just the poor, unfortunate makeup on everybody in Metropolis, a movie worth seeing, mm-hmm. but it very nearly wrecked it for me, but this is very, very and, you know, true folks, you images. have no idea what we have to go through in between movies because Nikki has a real problem with that guy in Metropolis. I'm going to get a big poster of him and put it in your office. I, I, you know, I was sleeping at that 3 guy. o'clock in the morning and phone rang. She, and, and, and here she is. That guy in Metropolis. You know, why does he have to wear so That's much like, Gustav Freud like, just over- pisses me off. I said, all right, we're going to get a more movie was- and nobody's going to be wearing makeup. And I hung up. That's right. He very nearly ruined it for me. But this time, you gentlemen have, have, have completely satisfied what I like to see in a movie. And by the way, you've also satisfied the rules. Very strict, very stringent, not just pulled from some crazy silver cloud. It is laid down in stone. And gentlemen, those rules for perfect movies are... A wooden crosses creates the world that it exists in. And it wholly sustains that world. Regardless of changes in society, wooden crosses retains its meaning and entertainment value. And wooden crosses will never be placed in any kind of preferential or numerical order. It is perfect within its own scale. Viva la France. Viva la France. It is a beautiful movie. It is harrowing. It, it, uh, the reason why it feels so long is because it covers a topic that is just... You know, just it is also... Your, you know, just... It's oh. one of these movies uh, that is very linear. And I'm not talking about the technique of editing. Or I think the story is mm-hmm. so lean and so linear that by the time you get finished, you're pretty bruised up. Because all the it's waypoints to hell. That's all it is. Every waypoint, another batter, every waypoint, and, and it's doom. You know where they're going. It's impending doom. And it happens. There's nothing you can stop this train. It's going all the way to the end. And I saw a lot of similarities between this and All's Quiet on the Western. Is it All Quiet? It's All Quiet oh. on the Western Front. I saw some similarities because, I mean, it starts out the same way. There's mm-hmm. a young person that goes off with certain ideals about what it means to be joining the military and the and the and what an honor it is and how honorary it is to do this for your country for your kin and so there's this idealism that that marks the beginning and then they're immediately thrown in with some hardened soldiers and to me i I began to get this resonance in my thinking about it but you point out that it's not by no means this is quite a bit different this is a more linear like this is like a sausage grinder where in all quiet on the western front you got attracted to some of the characters and they did the little tail the shoes Right. You know, they well, and the, the friendship, and the, the friendship between yeah. between Lou Ayres and the old sergeant. You know, so there's a sense of loss when the sergeant gets killed. This film, and I don't want to jump ahead too far, but but this film, and when I watched it the first time, the film I immediately 
compared it to was Full Metal Jacket. Oh. Because both of these films treat war as, like you said, it's like a meat grinder. These people come in. You don't really get to know them very well. They do their job. Their job is war. They go through the motions. They have to do this. They're put into the meat grinder. Many of them are killed. Immediately someone takes their place, and they go along, and it, and the film comes to an end, but war doesn't stop. Not much changes. The complexion is always identical through the whole picture. Right. And uh, and war is the big thing in this film. Not, I mean, the people are just sort of, like I said, they are the, the victims of war. There's nothing grandeurous. There, there's, there's no uh, shining hope of being a battle winning. There is none of it. It's, or being a hero. Or yeah. not being mm. heroic or being immortalized. You know? And it's most of the coverage on this this picture is all very linear. It's left to right, right to left. Um, it's very standard stuff. And occasionally they show you the longer a line of soldiers. and But most of the time it's linear action all the Just time. to remind uh, Film the Perfect fans that the, the left to right, right to left thing. Seems like oh well that's either way no is is it that when you see the motion of the action going from the left side of the screen to the right it is always associated with a certain tone of the film hope. and vice versa is it always left to right means I hope mean, this, I mean I mean this would be more like this would be more in like western films yeah films where we write left to right oh I see you mean like western natural, civilization yeah. films not like western you might yeah. find that in countries where they write right to left it might be the reverse yes but the european american like in this very early in this movie you see where they're they're in in their dugout and they're somebody's chipping away you can hear them over there digging and they can't stop it well when they cut to the germans digging the germans are 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 moving from right to left and you don't see them very well but you know it's the germans because when i saw this movie nikki and i watched this movie i one of the biggest problems with making a war movie is identifying your characters because they're all in uniform. They mm-hmm. all wear the same helmets. They all wear the they same hats. They all get dirty. So You'll there's a certain... Like Band of Brothers, they have something hanging. Like one guy has a yellow neckerchief. Anything so you can, with a, at a glance, see who that character is. And that's a very difficult thing to do in a war movie is no matter how handsome, how bold the person is, they immediately fall into the background because of the way they're dressed. And even in this movie, they had to work at it a little bit because they didn't really show you too much of the Germans. You didn't see their faces or anything. There was nothing to empathize with them. But the English, uh, or excuse me, English, the French, <laughs> the French, however, they did their best work trying to identify these guys as a group. There's no over-the-shoulders um, it's always medium shots, mostly. Yeah, and you mentioned um, this. I always like to watch it with you, by the way, because then I'm reminded of these little uh, mechanisms of, uh, of, uh, of reveal. You also said early on that it's a slow film, that they used a slow film on this, too. Oh, it's enable. very, it's so crisp and clean and clear. I bet that ASA was like two or something. Yeah, don't you think, very, George? very slow. Oh, it's so tight and so gorgeous looking. It is very nice black and white photography. We're talking about Wooden Crosses, the 1932 film, French, uh, with subtitles for us, uh, for mm-hmm. we English uh, native speakers. And um, you can tell from the very beginning sort of the the, the the tone, the flavor, the direction of this when they're they're lined up. Something we haven't done, I don't know if you want to <laughs> go through with it now, but if you want to give a little bit of the story, how the story flows in this film or a capsule, yeah, capsulization I think so. of it. I think so. It's the the film is based on a novel by a French uh, author who I'm gonna try to pronounce his name correctly here, Roland Dorgelais, uh, very popular and, and probably very similar in feel and uh, a tone to 
All Quiet on the Western Front. And this film definitely was an answer to All Quiet because it comes right on its heels, you know, a year or so later. Um, but in the film, there's uh, is one main character, uh, Gilbert Demanche, who is played by Pierre Blanchard, who is a young man who comes into this this army group with you know um, the ideas of he is fighting for his country and he's a patriot and this is going to be a great adventure. And almost right from the beginning, he meets up with these guys and they're all old dog faces and they're all kind of cynical and washed out and. And you know, kind of grubbing along, and and immediately they get into you know get into a battle uh, that is followed by this incredibly long sequence where they are told to stay in their shelter, and the Germans, as John alluded to earlier, are are digging a tunnel underneath to lay mines to blow them up. And they can hear this. They can hear this, and they can't leave. They are not allowed to leave. That that's, that's where they are. I mean, that's where they've been told to stay. And they're just waiting to be relieved by another group. And another group does come. And they leave. And within another, you know, six hours or so, they're blown up by this mine. And they see it. They see They that see them blown happens, up by the mine. And they know exactly what happened. That they, they got to get out just before this horrible It's like ambush. this dog of death that's pursuing them. Mm-hmm. And the shadow grows longer with every waypoint. And you'll see them. They mark time in this movie in an unusual and different way in many respects. One of them is they're assuming that you know how long this war was and, and the transitions of the war. Like you'll see, for instance, they're all getting their helmets. Right. Now, helmets didn't come they... into war until they had artillery because it was to protect you from the shrapnel that was falling. So these French guys are putting on their helmets. And then the next scene, the next waypoint to hell, it's artillery, artillery. And some of this artillery is so close to the camera, you can see the film buckle in the gate when it's exploding. And you were reckoning that um, some of it was actual real footage oh, yeah, mixed in. Yeah, But the, the concussion, uh, how close it was, was ripping the camera, uh, the, the film was jumping off the gate. But my point is is that they're going into another another stage of this meat grinder that you know is just going to be a bad ending. Remember, I was like, oh, this is not good. Can't this is not go good. Well. They're going and right to left. Well. This and is not good. The, you know? the, film, the film just, you follow these guys, you watch them, they get killed off. I mean, it's, you know, they get killed off, more brought in. Um, some of the characters, like the, the unit cook, is is taken away from being a cook and made into a soldier. And, of course, he's having a hard time. Uh, they have to hide out in a cemetery at one point, which was also in all quiet in the rest. Uh, which is also in all quiet. Well, the yeah. barrier, the barrier between them and the Germans is a church. The church, yeah. yeah. But it's a perfect image, and it's it's fitting. And I'm sure it did happen a lot that soldiers got yeah. pinned down in cemeteries. It's sort of like, well, I might as well just lay and down. And there, here. there are a couple of times in the film where, as a character is dying, he has a flashback to his life back in civilian days. And in 1932, this was big stuff. They were starting to be, tell narrative films with with a lot of flair because of their abilities through technical, right? Uh, you know, editing and, and things the technical like that. aspects of getting into like the technical aspects of the film, the, the the sound recording and the effects and just some of the the things that are done in this film. I I was amazed at it's how it looks very real. Yeah, at how well this film was done. And this film kind of took me totally by surprise. And, and Nikki, she was watching it there, and she says, this is very modern. And it does. It does. They were out there hand-holding these cameras yeah. very similar hand to Hand-holding cameras. Like on Saving were... Private Ryan, it looked very similar to that work that, mm-hmm. that uh, 
that Spielberg did in that movie. And not only was it completely effective what they did in this movie from, you know, 80 years ago, but it uh, you told me that those cameras were really, really heavy. They were heavier so than they are now. So to handhold these sure. was yeah. no small thing. You I couldn't see through smith- the lens, as we've said before on many shows. Those cameras back then, you had to point them. There's no way you could look through the lens and see where you were shooting. Once the film was in and rolling to, right. to look through, well, there, it would spoil the film. There so. was a combat camera called the IMO that they could use, but it only holds about 90 seconds worth of film. But that wasn't in 1914 or 15. Not in 1940. Well, in 1932, though. I mean, when they oh, were shooting that handheld stuff in 1932, they were probably using it like an IMO, but it only holds, you know, a minuscule amount of film. Yeah, yeah. Well, it really did appear modern. One of these days, we think that we're going to do Paths of Glory was just Stanley Kubrick's World War One movie. And it would be an interesting, if you really got the guts to do it, watch all three yeah. of these movies. They're, they, they they're would fit all together very, very well. similar. They're all... You can intercut the stuff and, you know, make a different movie. But my point is, of course, not to do that. Don't try that. Um, <laughs> that might be you know, I want you to watch a movie. I don't want you to go out there and like maybe. it. Yeah, get some cartoons and watch yeah. them afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but if you, watch, if you watch uh, All's Quiet on the Western Front and you watch this movie and you watch Paths of Glory, you're going to see three very distinctive ways of looking at this conflict. Mm-hmm. And none of them are positive. Uh, none of them are positive. So tell us, if you would, George, just like, you know, so that we have the, the idealistic and then just tell us like sort of the um, the milestones. There's a, there's a point of, of climax of tension where. Right. They, they when they've, they're given their helmets and they have this huge battle where they are to take back a village that was theirs but was lost to the Germans. And we actually, just to give you an example um, we have a little bit of the soundtrack here. Since it's in French, we didn't want to like <laughs> present you a lot of long French dialogue scenes. Not that there are many. Um, yeah. But but this is basically to give you an idea of the sound mix that they were able to do in 32 of this truly intense battle scene. Concussion of the of the exploding artillery. Yeah, and as as this battle progresses, and it goes on for a good I don't know 10, 15 minutes. It does. Um, titles are brought up on the screen that in French says ten days, and then it goes on with the battle, and then it brings up again ten days, bigger and bigger and bigger, and and basically the battle they don't really accomplish a whole lot in this battle. No, they take back this little carnage. town which is totally bombed out, but with, but not without the loss of many many. Uh, Good French, and in French this men. war, the Great War, the word in all wars, mm-hmm. that was principally how that war in in World War Two and other they were all over the world. They were in Africa, they were in uh, Europe, they were in Japan, uh, but this was con- con- just strictly yeah. relegated to, to two fronts. Yeah, World two World War One just uh, degenerated. Some people say into trench warfare, and you know more people were lost in in a shorter time than the whole American Civil War, and this went on for almost five years. I do believe is, uh, oh, so, and that's the, so, the whole oh. idea. Of what they're what they're trying to tell you is. This was a very concentrated conflict that went on for a very long time with no gain. Right. No gain. And so much of this, the the and this just this just embarrassed me that I didn't know this guy. 
But the director of this film, Raymond Bernard, was one of the shining stars of the French cinema at this time. I mean, he was big. And you can tell because this was a big budget film. And so oh. was the film he made right after this, which is this incredible version of Les Miserables that's like five hours long. I mean, Bernard is an amazing filmmaker. Um, I've seen at least one of his silent films, and he was an amazing silent filmmaker. Um, but he's almost completely forgotten today. Why? Um, uh, some people seem to say that because his style of filmmaking, this big, grand filmmaking, fell out of fashion and never really came back. I mean, you had the French New Wave coming in. Now, fortunately, there were enough people around to know he was important that they were able to reconstruct his Les Miserables before he died. But other than that, I mean, I don't remember ever hearing his name mentioned. We even had classes yeah. at Wright State. We did a whole class on French cinema of the 30s. I don't remember his name ever being mentioned. And also when you watch this, you think, wow, they had a big industry there. Uh, mm -hmm. When you watch that movie, because it's a, it's on a pretty good scale. And you think, wow, they were really making some big movies there. But in all honesty, I, uh, I'm with George. You know, I never saw anything that the French put out in this scale in the 30s. I think it's really, really good. And again, it's, it may well be because I'm, I, I've am i known the two of you for long enough that I really have a, a, a keener eye for picking things up. But I was really struck by several things about this film, um, not just the handheld work and, and the complete authenticity of the battlefields, but um, something that, we you know, we always hear about um, – you know, post-traumatic stress disorder. You, when they do this this battle that went on with that artillery sound for 10 days, it has to be no wonder. Human beings aren't meant to withstand that. And it's just the whole thing just became, ah, oh, I just had so much empathy and, and feeling. And it's funny because I contrast this to Apocalypse Now, which we reviewed, which made me feel uncomfortable the whole time. Mm -hmm. This movie more or less did as well, but completely different sort of, but uh, you'd watch this one again, right? <laughs> I would. I'm never watching Apocalypse well, Now This movie's again. like uh, being slowly flogged. For, uh, <laughs> uh, that's exactly what they're trying to like do. It is. Now, I, I believe that I did, I did do a little research when I first saw this film. And if I remember correctly, they did show this to – because you know, being in 32, there were many, 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 many men – in France and around the world, still, who had still who had taken part in this. In fact, most of the actors in this film were in the army in World War One, so they remember it. And from what I understand, when this was shown, especially to groups of of soldiers, they just wept. I oh, mean, it I all imagine. came back. Oh. I think if I remember, there were even a few a few people who who took their own lives after seeing it because it just depressed them so much to relive that whole hell again. The end is quite notable. I don't know that we're going to. Uh, I don't really want to give it away. I mean, yeah. it's 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 more of a war ending, but very it's very memorable. It's very memorable. It's there's you know there's there's times where uh, I think one of the strongest images, which somewhat is alluded to at the end, is right in the middle of all this. The 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 commanders decide to have a parade of all the soldiers. Wasn't this that ridiculous, just made me mad. this ridiculous parade, and and as they're marching along. Bernard superimposes because there's like a church oh, in the background. He 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 superimposes all of these dead soldiers they're up marching the higher, along. Very interesting composition. They're up at the top of the frame, very top. Of yeah, the frame. And they're it's like double marching, exposed, right? double exposed, and they are marching along carrying their wooden crosses. In the beginning of this movie, he really pounds the superimpositions of wooden crosses, and then he kind of lays off that. And of course, you find yourself now. I 
you know, when I see these old movies, I wonder who's been influenced by them. And I see little bits of uh, Sergio Leone's cemetery work in his movies. When I see how um, when he shot this, mm-hmm. I, I have no no way to prove that, but there are similarities on how he used uh, the barriers of the of all the cemetery right. pieces, like Sergio used and. Like uh, the movie, all those movies he did, the Spaghetti Western, right? You know? Well, especially like um, uh, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, which has yeah, big cemetery scenes. And like he just takes it a couple steps further, but the convention is kind of set up by this director mm-hmm. here, uh, and you know you're getting close to the end when you see that. Yeah, and, and Bernard went on for years. I mean, he directed well, I believe, into the '50s, maybe in the '60s. It's just for whatever reason, he never. He was outshadowed by the oncoming the young directors coming out. The French so, New Wave. The French New Wave. We'll have to talk about what that is sometime on a completely different show because I'm uh, intrigued. I'd like to know what kind of film can uh, supplant such a now uh, the one artist. great thing. This, I mean, this for all intents and purposes to us, this was a lost film. I mean, it was there, but you it was mean unavailable. The Library of Congress, right, George? When you say us, us, I mean us. We I mean, as, to as, us, as people, as with eyes. As people. I, I mean, this film was all these this this film was, was. I mean, it was never really lost. I mean, it was over there in France in the archive, but it was not available. Uh, it was unseen for years and years, but thanks again to our good friends at Criterion, uh, they started this new series called the Eclipse series, which they say is you know series of lost and forgotten films. Yeah, that's cool. So this set that they put out, they put out a double set of Wooden Crosses and Les Misérables, both Raymond Bernard films. All five hours of Les Misérables. All five hours of Les Misérables, which is just Ooh. one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. It's actually three films. It was released as three separate films. So you'd go and see the first part, and then you'd come back and see the second part later. Um, you sat and watched all five hours, did you? I divided it up over two nights. So, yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> but, yeah, this Wooden Crosses, and, and the amazing thing, how I first heard about this was it was recommended to me by the little computers at Netflix. When hey. you order things off of Netflix, they will say, oh, if you like that movie, try this one. And sometimes they're laughably bad. But I saw this one, and it was like, oh, okay. Same time as All Quiet, I'll give it a check out. I'm like, Wow. I would have been so sad if I had missed seeing this film. Very good. Very much worth seeing. I think that we are uh, rock solid on the rules. It, you're, you're right there. You're in it. It's uh, it's authentic. It almost has a, in a way, I think, except there's some places it might be a bit melodramatic, but there's almost a documentary feel to it. It's really, really well done. And, and again, I appreciate the lack of makeup and all that sort of moving battle work uh, and sustained without question. And, how nice that Rule Three, uh, we're able to uh, to appreciate that and that it isn't uh, lost and yep. gone forever. This has been another edition of Filmically Perfect on member-supported 91.3 WYSO. We bring you back to your regular programming. (laughs) (laughs) Please prepare to adjust your radio as we uh, circle in for a landing. And uh, as always, a pleasure to be in here. Are we... um, we have kind of a, a couple secrets coming down the pike, but we hope that you'll stay tuned and always uh, take an opportunity to write to the film guys. We love we can only hint to, to get you that card and letters. We've kind of lost our sense of value for color here for the next couple of weeks. Um, <laughs> We're seeing everything very monochromatic. We, uh, for some reason, we, we just figured out that we haven't done anything. 
was not a single color present in any of <laughs> these films. Really, but no. they're still worth seeing, and I tell and you. There are, some of them are really good looking black and white, oh. like wooden crosses, boy. That's some dope. Really good looking black and white, man. To color things almost diminishes the, the mm-hmm. impact. There's something about black and white, and uh, very much worth seeing. As always, a pleasure to be in here with you. J. Todd Anderson, thanks for being here. And it's always my pleasure. And uh, Mr. George Willeman, so nice to see you in the flesh. We don't get to see you as much as we'd love to, but thanks for being here. And uh, Oh, and it's always his pleasure. It's always his pleasure. See you next time, gentlemen. It's my pleasure because it's George's pleasure. That's right. Oh, it's so pleasurable. Thank you for listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Please keep an ear out for new episodes of Filmically Perfect, coming very soon to iTunes and hosted on our website, www.perfectmovie.net. See you, please.